Welcome to Wisdom at the Crossroads. I'm your host, Amanda Onchalenko, and I'm excited to invite you into my studio practice remotely. Together, let's pause the rhythm of the day as we dive into the backstories of an artistic life, my life, exploring lessons learned through creativity and inspiration. So get yourself a beverage and let's settle in for a short while as we reflect on how some of my favourite paintings have evolved and what wisdom I have found at the crossroads where action and presence meet. Thanks for joining me. I wanted to begin today's chat at the studio with a conversation that evolved with an actual visitor, my friend and colleague, Fia. We would just return to our studios after absences, chatting about taking breaks from our work and how it feels to come back to where we left off. Regardless of the difference and duration of our trips, we both agreed that while sometimes fresh eyes are helpful, at other times a critical eye returns and with it come insecurities and questions, like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And I think any creative can relate. In my studio practice, I usually try to finish a project before a deadline or a break from painting, but because our family's break was a spontaneous play of the get-out-of-dodge-now card in a very dark winter, I came back to a commission piece I had left mid-sentence. I realise there are areas of it that I just love, but while they provide interest in the colour story, they confuse the composition spatially. I know I'm not striving for realism, but fundamental landscape cues do need to make the grade in this painting. I felt like I had lost my way. A commission can be an important part in the business equation for an artist, but it often means I end up second-guessing myself and stifling my painterly instincts. Choices made on behalf of someone else, I guess, if I am really honest, aren't always the right choices. I can be guilty of allowing my head to get in the way of what I really want to do. It's then that I need to remind myself of the many clients who were beyond happy with the piece or pieces they have commissioned and purchased. Every artist handles the commission process differently. I like to establish a size and discuss the client's wishes to determine a theme. I then prepare to create two pieces, the first being what I think they are telling me they want. The second piece is what I want to paint, within even broader parameters I set without any input from the client. Usually the client will end up adopting one of the two pieces I paint, but I insist there is never any obligation. While I don't ever want anyone to invest in something they don't love, there are limits to how much time I am willing to invest in someone else's project, so too is my limit. Generally, though, I find when we are true to ourselves, the outcome is always more successful. Which painting do you think most often is adopted? Often, it's the second one. Some clients have even been known to adopt both fraternal twins. Coming back to a project mid-stride this week was not in my cards, so instead I unwrapped a new three-foot-by-four-foot canvas. I wanted to feel the creative action of painting, to duel with the resistance and acceptance the tension of the stretched canvas offered my loaded brush. Art-making grounds me in presence, and I felt I needed to dive into the process without any attachment to an outcome. Really, I just needed to play. A blank canvas is like chocolate to a painter. You know it's going to be delicious, but like Forrest Gump, you just don't know what you're going to get. I like to get back into my rhythm by preparing a canvas with gesso. For those who don't know, gesso is a primer that conditions the raw canvas. It gives the paint something to bite into and prevents the subsequent layers of paint from spreading softly into the porous base of raw, untreated canvas. The action of doing it gets my thoughts and muscle memory flowing and helps me to get into the process. 
I was disappointed to realise my gesso bucket barely had a sniff remaining, but with the final dregs I managed to inscribe a word into the surface. This setting of an intention is a casual addition to my process. Words are powerful, and I like to paint a word into the protective face layer. The word is whatever comes to mind without too much conscious thought. In this way I feel I am setting the tone of the project, and that broad intention might also provide another opportunity for a future viewer to make a connection with later down the road. The word chi came to mind today, and I had just enough opaque gesso to complete the job. Chi is the life force within us, universal energy. I guess I needed to tap into my own energy to feel my own presence in the process, to ground myself in studio practice with the act of beginning. The making of initial marks and the covering of the surface in a foundation of gestural colour was my goal. While these marks may or may not come to the surface in the finished version of this painting, the energy or chi I have inscribed within it will remain and the remnant marks that describe the action of my brush on the canvas. The process is active and meditative in the beginning, when my only concern is to address the physical need to feel the action of the brush against a surface. Once I ran out of opaque gesso, I used clear gesso and a limited palette that included a new golden green gold, and wait for it, benzimidazoline, yellow medium in liquid acrylic. I'm sorry about my pronunciation, but I really have to ask, who makes up these names? How do we even get around that with an accent, no less? This liquid pair was joined by a regular favourite of mine, quinacridone red light, again, names. I had made sure to move the in-progress works off the painting wall so I would A, not drip on them, and B, avoid any comments from the gallery as they try to speak up with requests for a bit of this or a bit of that, as they often distract me by catching the attention of my peripheral vision. My colleague and I reminded each other that a painting is not a jurist. There is no need for judgment. Sometimes we can gain real value in allowing ourselves to engage in the process for the sake of the process itself. I don't know where this piece will end up. I don't have a plan for it beyond the vehicle it provided today as a starting point for my personal journey to connect to a part of my creative self. So far it is a document of a moment in time, no more and no less. As each painting episode in this surface evolves, the canvas will become a cumulative tally of all those moments, documented in layers and recorded in colour. Before we finished our visit today, Fia and I talked about paintings at the studio that we considered to be finished, but later, when we take a second look, we think, oh yeah, I could add this or change that. The conversation reminded me of a book launch I had attended years ago. The book celebrated a chapter in the career of a well-known Manitoba painter, Ivan Eyre. There he was discussing his work, and I put up my hand to ask a question I am often asked. When do you know your work is finished? He paused before he responded, then noted the fact that historians get frustrated with him because years after the fact, and even after a painting has been published in a catalogue or a book, he has been known to redress the painting from his new perspective, with the intention to somehow improve it. Those efforts to polish or clean things up in a composition can be the detriment of us all. I was glad to learn I was not alone in my backward glances toward earlier works. Every piece we create is a record of where we are at a particular point in time. The difference between old work and new work is growth. I try to accept the lessons I have learnt along the way as a document of an age or a stage that will become part of the equation that illustrates the story of one painter's work in art. 
In this episode, I want to introduce you to a small painting I kept because I loved its simplicity. It taught me many things, among them, to leave well enough alone, to walk away from a painting before I addressed the urge to clean it up and tamper with the initial marks I had made. It hails from 2006 and was part of what I then called the Trespassing series. I may have had an issue with boundaries at the time, but I won't judge my younger, frazzled young mother self for finding inspiration in the front yards of friends I had yet to meet. 2006 was early in the digital age. Then I was usually armed with my ELF camera and developed film in duplicate batches. It was cheaper, and it gave me the opportunity to write a note of thanks to the owners and share a lovely image of their fleeting perennial gardens. This little painting is called Singing the Blues. It is 13 inches by 14 inches and was painted on a plywood panel. The unusual proportion is the result of my adventures in the hardware store, where I divided a 4 by 8 sheet into a group of proportionate pieces so I could play in series without feeling I was splurging on materials. My current advice to my younger self is to just buy the darn materials. It's worth it, and so are you. Anyhow, I prepared the surface with gesso in multiples, a few at a time, and taped some inspiration photos above them on my paintball. The photos provided a starting point. They reminded me of something that had piqued my interest and inspired me to take the picture in the first place. I didn't have time to act on my creative urges instantly in those days, so this was my way of collecting visual information for later use. I was the mother of young kids, remember. In fact, I used to joke I was the stay-at-home mum who just wasn't home, and I was only half-joking. The snapshots acted like flint, igniting the creative process with a foundation in landscape in general, but with no intention to replicate the details of a particular space or place. In singing the blues, just like in the understructure of the piece I was painting the other day, I was using colours opposite on the colour wheel to create a foundation or compositional structure. For example, this little guy has a pale lemon yellow sky. This image was going to feature a cluster of fiery red poppies from a local lawn, which I naturally underpainted in Liquitex's brilliant blue liquid acrylic. It is a favourite colour of mine that I have had some difficulty finding lately. Sometimes in painting, I put pressure on myself to produce some predetermined outcome, but with my freshly cut hardware store boards, I gave myself permission to just play and to see what unfolded. By starting without a destination, the little composition is fresh and clear and ultimately, to my mind, it's more successful. Luckily I had more boards to play with, so I left this piece to cure as I went on to something else. The pause also cured my desire to clean it up or overpaint in a more naturalistic or expected scheme. My use of contrasting colour foundations can sometimes flatten my painting spatially as it tends to defy the natural order where blues recede to the background and warm reds, oranges and yellow step forward into the foreground. I find the value of the colour can help that effect from being disruptive, but really, does it even matter? What is important to me is the developing relationship between elements within the composition's surface. When I began my art school journey, it was at the tail end of the photorealism era. I am definitely not Chuck Close, and I am in no way attempting to replicate the real world or any existing space, place, or event. I am simply creating my own response to landscape, where subject is secondary and the final product may or may not bear any resemblance to the inspiration that ignited the journey through process in the first place. For those interested in my photorealist beginnings, stay tuned for the end of season one. There, we will learn a little about where my art journey began and how the support of a mentor who saw the painter within me 
possibly before I even knew she was there myself, was so important. But for now, we can take away a couple of lessons from singing the blues, like, let's just play, kids. Life is seriously too short to take ourselves too seriously. Life and work should definitely be fun. Let's also remove our attachment to outcome, even temporarily. I find when I allow myself to fully feel the creative actions I am engaged in, I am also allowing myself to be fully immersed in a process. In the creative process, I can find myself in a place where the world quietens around me and I am fully present. I guess really, I am at the intersection where action and presence meet. Don't get me wrong, studio practice is not all fun and games. It requires discipline and a lot of practice too. One last lesson though, singing the blues taught me, was that while the hardware store can be a perfectly good resource for a painting support, if I add in the cost of my time, my energy and the resources it took me to get the project finished and framed, there was actually no economic advantage to my resourceful little scheme. Let's be sure to remember, most importantly, we and the work we create are worth the investment in materials, always. Qi in Chinese medicine, sometimes spelt QI, is broadly interchangeable with prana from the Ayurvedic yoga tradition. Both terms refer to the vital energy within us and around us. As I was inscribing the word Qi into the foundation of my painting in white gesso, I was thinking of the idea of flow and how to return to it after a break. How to restore balance, I wondered. How do I breathe in the air around me with intention? And how do I use that energy to assist me to flow into my creative process? So I want flow to be our intention for today's meditation as we join together in a process that encourages us to connect to something greater than ourselves. Let's together open ourselves to the potential of receiving the universal energy that supports us when we ask for it. Find yourself a spot on a chair, at your desk, in your car while you're not driving, on a yoga mat or on the floor, wherever you feel comfortable. Settle yourself comfortably into place where you are not likely to be disturbed. And as a gentle reminder, if you are driving or operating heavy machinery while listening, please turn off the podcast now and come back to it later when you have time available to commit to yourself. Let's breathe, shall we? Let's breathe in fully and exhale fully. As we begin to establish our cycle, listen to hear the sound of air entering through the nose. Allow the air to fully expand the belly until there is no more room within it. Pause at the top then and listen for the air as it flows fully out of your system. Breathing in and breathing out. Let's do that for two or three cycles. Breathing in fully and exhaling fully out. Notice what the belly is doing as you breathe fully. Aim to send your breath to the bottom of the belly and to totally empty the belly as you rotate through the cycles, 
in and out, in and out. Feel the rise and fall of the belly. Feel your body settle and soothe as you relax into your comfortable space. Rest your gaze now and allow the eyes to close as you continue the journey of the breath in the same rhythm, fully breathing in, pausing at the top and fully breathing out. Try counting the inhale. One, two, three, four, pause, then count down the exhale. Four, three, two, one. Go at your own pace, but do be mindful you are in control. You direct your own breath. The aim is to keep the breath cycle comfortable, yet also purposeful. If you are lying down, I'd like to invite you to extend your arms at the shoulder as you breathe to form yourself into a letter T. But only do that if it is attainable and comfortable for you to do so. Open the chest and the arms as you breathe and allow yourself to accept a cosmic embrace. Visualize it if necessary. Breathe. Focus. And receive. Imagine air flowing into and out of your system, rhythmically and systematically. Now let's just for fun assign a colour to our breath. I'm going to choose Brilliant Blue because it is one of my favourites and also because I don't have to spell it and I can actually pronounce it. As I continue to concentrate on the course of the breath, I begin to feel the intensity of the colour flow with it. Concentrate on the colour you have chosen and invite the colour to join with your breath as it flows within and then out. In and out. As your breath cycle continues, the colour you have chosen courses through your internal structure as you direct it. See your colour bloom as it first makes its way to fill your shoulders on the inhale. Before it moves on the next breath toward the elbow. Encourage this action, this flow, with the action of each breath. Direct your own focus as you witness this tinted light flowing through your body, making its way to the extremities, filling even the tiniest cells with this beautiful, colourful radiance. As your breath continues to fully fill and fully empty the belly, so too does your chosen colour. 
In my case, liquid brilliant blue fills the areas I focus on. With the exhale, any dis-ease I feel softens and evaporates. From the armpit through the shoulder, shoulder to elbow, elbow to fingertips. Continue the breath that glides in a rhythmic cycle, drawing with it your chosen colour. Move on to the hips now and down to the knees, breathing in, pausing at the top and breathing out. Recognize the pause between breaths. Allow this pause to slow the movement of the color and then continue. Breathing in, pausing, breathing out. Breathing in, pause, breathe out. Allow the area of focus to swell and recede with your colourful internal radiance. Your moving colour might even tickle as it makes its way around and through all systems and all cells in the body until your entire body is inflated and relaxed by the introduction of this soothing light that glows in your chosen colour. This coloured light has touched every single space within you, yet it does not stop there. It flows on. Refreshing your system with each complete inhale and rhythmic exhale. In and out, the energy flows. Now, with your body filled to overflowing with light, take a moment to visualize color. Ask yourself, is the color I am seeing the same color I originally introduced? Or has it changed or evolved in some way? As you continue to breathe in and out and pause respectively, Take a moment to wonder, to consider the breath, to examine the imagined spaces that breath has traveled. Think how the color has evolved, if it has changed, if it glows stronger, if it has morphed into a new color. These thoughts might make for an interesting journal entry if you are one to journal. Or if you are relaxed and content and feeling refreshed by our time together, you might like to simply remain in a grateful state, accepting and aware of the very short journey we have traveled together in color. Thanks for joining me today. Be you and most importantly, be well. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're able to find something that resonated for you as we journeyed through the backstories of art, life and inspiration together. Watch for new episodes to drop weekly on Tuesdays. 
I'll meet you there with your morning coffee or afternoon tea as we gather in my studio remotely. Unless, of course, you knock on my door or pop into my messages. Find me on Instagram at mandartcanada or on my website www.mandart.ca where you'll find show notes and images of the artworks we discuss on the podcast in the blog. Feel free to bring a friend or reach out with your questions or comments. I would love to hear from you. In the meantime, I will look forward to joining with you again as we seek wisdom at the crossroads where action and presence meet. Take care. Bye now.